And I would guess that hundreds, if not thousands of kids who have been through this have written a Unit 3 story and thought, this is the best story I ever wrote. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, the page of the calendar has turned or will have turned when this podcast comes out. Future perfect tense. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Yes. It will have turned yes. by the time people are hearing us speak. Yes. And for us, what that means, it's time to move on to a new unit. Now, our teaching, writing, structure, and style, there's four words that are really important in there. We are teaching teachers how to teach writing, English composition teaching, writing, structure, and style. And the structural, what is the structural referring to? Well, the units, the the ways of collecting up, organizing ideas. Good. And the style refers to the ways of presenting those ideas. Yep. And for anyone who knows our system, they are probably aware that the basic idea is to work through all nine of those units over the course of a school year. Right. So if you're starting in August and you're doing unit one and two, Around the beginning of September or middle, depending, I guess, when you started and what (laughs) grade you're teaching and what things you're using, it is time to move on to Unit 3. And I wanted to get some bumper stickers. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. And then in little tiny words right below that, in Unit unit 2. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so I've been working with you for many, many many years. And I know that was a problem in the beginning. I don't think it's as much of a problem now because we've done so much to tell people don't get stuck. But one of the things that I noticed is there were curriculums written, not by us, but by other people that were based on only units one and two. And they didn't know the structural models. They yeah. didn't know there was a unit three. And you tell the story would people call back in the day when you actually used to answer the phone. Yes. And they would say, well, we used your writing program for a while, like three months. <laughs> uh, and it was going really well, but now it's not going so good anymore. My first question, what unit are you in? Their answer, what do you mean? Yeah, right. Then I know we're in deep yogurt. It's right. That's right. So unit three is very different than unit one and two, but there's also a lot of similarities. So the the idea of keyword outline, a lot of people say that, and what they mean is take keywords from every sentence, a la unit one and two. Right. But if you look at our, you know, student writing, student samples, you know, everything we do, the keyword outlines look very similar through all nine of the units right. in terms of generally a maximum of three keywords per 
line mm -hmm. in the outline, separated by commas with symbols, numbers, and abbreviations, judiciously interspersed. <laughs> yes. But the way we get those keywords changes in every unit. And I think that's the thing that we've been working really hard to communicate. Yep. And I think with our, you know, like our summer great adventure mm -hmm. and with these podcasts mm -hmm. and with the Monday night webinars mm -hmm. and with, well, everything, yeah, you know, I think, what we, do. I think we got people, they basically get the idea, oh, so when you go into unit three, you're not looking in the sentences for keywords. Right. You're not even looking on the page right. for keywords. Yes. And that's a big shift. It's possibly the biggest shift uh, in the whole syllabus, unit mm -hmm. two to unit three. But once you get it, then everything else is downhill. It is so easy. So the keywords come from the elements of a story. So the students read a story and... If they don't understand the story, it's a short story. Usually you start with something pretty short, right? And then they read it again, maybe. Well, you know, the story can be any length. Mm -hmm. It could be a half-page Aesop fable. It could be Gone with the Wind. Right. You know, it can be anything in between. But what we have found, of course, is that using shorter source text, yes. especially in the beginning, the first few weeks or the first couple of years of working through the units, it's a whole lot easier right. and better. And therefore, everyone has more success, teachers and students. So the basic idea of unit three, and I, I tried to do this stupid little full magic trick. It's not stupid. It's brilliant. I well, love it. Well, I take a rolled up piece of paper and I say, here's the story. Mm -hmm. You put it into your brain and I stick the thing behind my head. <gasps> you told the trick. Well, <laughs> and then with my other hand, I pull it out my ear. Right? <laughs> and the idea is you're not looking on the page for the keywords. You're trying to put the story in mm -hmm. your mind, understand it, imagine, reflect, you know, let it sit for a little while. And then you ask the questions from the story sequence chart to pull the answers from those questions. And that's what goes into the keyword outline. So story sequence chart. To some of our listeners who may be new, brand new to IEW, tell tell us how the story sequence chart came about and what's it made up of. Well, it's it's a three part way of telling a story, or mm -hmm. retelling a story, or using a story, or analyzing a story, and it's nothing particularly new, but perhaps the fact that it's so simple, mm -hmm. it was I don't know ignored or rejected or eliminated as being too simple. Hmm. But uh, the history actually goes all the way back when Mrs. Ingham was teaching grade 1-2 and Dr. Webster was teaching grade 5. And he came over to Mrs. Ingham's for a holiday and she had a little pile of stories on her coffee table. And these were written by first or second graders. Written by first and second grade students. And so he picked up the little pile and started reading the stories that her students had written. And he realized that these were better stories hmm. from a storytelling, from an interesting point of view, I suppose, than his fifth graders were creating. Right. 
And of course, that's understandable because, you know, kids are 10, 11 years old and you say, write a story. And, you know, if they're at all like me, it was like, once upon a time there was a, and then what, you know, you got to think of something that nobody ever thought of before and you're just overwhelmed. And there was a prince and he saw a dragon and he killed it. And then he got a princess and that was the end. You know, where do you, where do you go with <laughs> right. this, right? So... Dr. Webster said to his aunt, Mrs. Ingham, Aunt Gertrude, these stories are better than anything my grade fives are doing. How, how do you do this? Which is what good teachers usually do yes. is they find better teachers and mm -hmm. say, how did you get the results yes. that you got? And Mrs. Ingham drew out on a little paper, a Canadian word is serviette, oh, okay. which is, means paper napkin okay. like, you know, in American <laughs> English. but. She drew out the story sequence chart, mm. and that was basically that when you ask children to write a story or retell a story, you say, well, first, who's in the story? What are they like? What's their situation? When, mm -hmm. where? What are the circumstances? Right? Then, what is the problem or conflict? And then what happens? What do the characters think or say or do? And then that leads up to the third part of the story, which would be, how is the problem solved, mm -hmm. anything that happens after that, and is there something to be learned right. from the story? So it's a three-part idea. Now, with Mrs. Ingham, I believe that she was kind of letting them do that all just nonstop. Mm. But Webster took that idea and said, well, okay, grade fives, they do really well in their science experiment write-ups mm. because there's three parts to it. Oh, interesting. There's the part where you have the equipment and your hypothesis. And then there's the process you go through. And then the third part is the outcome and what conclusions you make from that. And, you know, fifth grade science experiments are are pretty formulaic to begin with. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, but he noted that no one had a problem figuring out what to write. So he basically said, well, let's use this three-part story sequence chart and do three paragraphs to get an appropriately lengthed, you know, composition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was the birth of the story sequence chart in Webster's experience. And then it comes to us through you know, the structure and style syllabus. I love it. I love it. And so we teach unit three in September, October, whatever month you are. And we do the same nine units every year over and over again. So let's say we're talking to a parent or teacher and they're teaching a student or a group of students and they've done this several times. Can this change a little bit to make this a little bit well, uh, yeah, of course. You know, people sometimes when they hear, oh, you you do the same thing every year, after year, after year. <laughs> well, not quite. Mm -hmm. We're using the same tools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's getting easier to use things like the keyword outlines in the story sequence chart and the topic clincher paragraph and the questions for writing from pictures and the research process and the essay models and, of course, the style techniques. Those are the tools. Right. The content, of course, varies. That would be the stories, the articles, the subjects for research, the ideas for compositions. That varies according to grade level. Sure. Reading level, basically. 
and according to length and sophistication of content. And then, you know, another variable would be the speed at which you go through things. Mm -hmm. Now, the structural units, for the most part, this, this is a little different in, say, the high school levels, but in the upper elementary and middle, you know, that one unit per month schedule works quite well. Right. And you may get three, maybe four compositions per, you know, eight or nine units over the course of the school year. And you're not expecting anyone to really master that. So coming again the next year and mm. working through all those nine units, then it's kind of like the kids are, oh, I vaguely remember yes. the story sequence. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I remember there's a thing called a topic clincher rule, you know. Mm-hmm. And so now you're revisiting that. And, and well, the topic the, clincher, I'm just going to clarify for any of our listeners, it, topic clincher, we'll talk about that next month in, in unit, unit four. four. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, sure. you know, you revisit these structural ideas yep. And then they kind of layer on Mm -hmm. and become more and more concrete. Right. And then, of course, with the stylistic techniques, you know, we're we're working the same checklist every week, every assignment, increasing the complexity little by little through the easy plus one approach. Right. So, you know, we're not really teaching the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're practicing with the same tools. Right. And, and that makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. everyone. Yep. And, you know, at a certain point, they they lose, you you lose them. They they grow up or they leave you or they do, or they quit listening to you. Right. You know, at that point, then they're going to go off to some other teacher, some other class, some college thing, some other writing, or maybe they escape any more writing entirely if they're lucky. <laughs> but uh, those tools then become oh, so what I have to do here is tell a little story. I know what makes a good story. Got to have these elements. Right. And, you know, you can take the greatest huge long story and it still has those elements. It's just got a whole lot of other stuff as mm-hmm. well, you know, subplots and other characters involved and peripheral things. And so, you know, I think in a way it's an excellent exercise for everyone Absolutely. to be able to take a complex thing and then look at it in a simple way. Mm-hmm. Now, Webster originally called this unit summarizing narrative stories. Okay. And when we redid the syllabus mm-hmm. with the, the new version, I think it was 2015, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's when we were really intentional to change it all from summarizing to retelling. Yes. Because when you think about summarizing, it's kind of limiting. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have a story and you have to write that story and make it shorter. (laughs) Right. But you can't really change anything. Right. And so there's parameters there. And there's a purpose to that activity, but it doesn't engender creativity Mm -hmm. quite so much. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of Dr. Webster, I thought, well, retelling it's much broader. Mm-hmm. You know, with retelling, you can elaborate. You can play with things a little bit. You can maybe change the ending. Oh. Maybe you mm-hmm. can take the plot and change the characters. Mm-hmm. All sorts of flexible things. And you think about the tradition of storytelling. Right. You know, people have been retelling stories mm-hmm. for a very, very long time. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's no plagiarism involved in retelling 
an Aesop fable sure. or a fairy tale, mm-hmm. right? Right. Not only does nobody own them, people have been retelling them, you know, in prose, in verse, sure. in film, in comic, right? And changing them. Like yeah. the original story of Cinderella does not have mice in it, from what I understand. Well, yes. It also has the sisters cutting off a bit of their toe so that the bloody, you know, ooze of the slipper gives away, you know, her the, the stepsisters. Yeah, and you, you think, well, Disney, right. I mean, their whole company was established initially on retelling sure. the great stories. Right. So this gives kids a lot of freedom, mm-hmm. a lot of freedom. And so, you know, in the Unit 3 TWSS video and when mm-hmm. I'm teaching it now, you know, we teach the structure. We practice it through with with the basic story of the fox and the crow and the cheese mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. And then I point out that there's lots of ways to use the story sequence chart and that kind of just straight retelling mm-hmm. is one way to do it. Summarize would be another way to do it, but... Like I said, it doesn't engender much creativity because sure. if you're trying to stay totally true to the original, you feel hindered. Like, right. I can't really change anything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next step would be kind of an elaboration. So now we might add in a few details and add in some advanced style techniques mm-hmm. that might make it in some minor way a little different than the original. But again, What's the problem there? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, the next thing you could do is you could actually do like a variation on the story. So rather than just retelling the boy who cried wolf, Mm -hmm. well, change the characters and setting. You don't have to have a a European boy who Mm -hmm. is in a forest in somewhere in France or Germany, which is probably... Well, I don't know, Aesop, that would have been way down in Greece or somewhere. Sure, yeah. Turkey, maybe. But you wouldn't have to have a boy who cried wolf. You could reimagine it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a girl who's a goat herd rather than a shepherd, Mm -hmm. you know, somewhere in Africa who cries lion, Mm -hmm. right? Or a lot of the fables, like parables, are transferable into the world of humans very naturally. Mm -hmm. So... I've had kids take that story of the boy who cried wolf, but they're maybe reading about the Civil War mm. and they're studying that. And so they might, you know, have the the Union soldier yes. who was on sentry duty and got super bored and then <laughs> cried rebel attack. Right. right? Or vice versa. So, sure, sure. You know, you could move that story into, you know, any time and place. Or I even had kids just switch it up. The wolf who cried boy. Oh, interesting. Right? And then all the wolves are panicking. Oh, no, there's a boy with a gun. You know. So I've just found so many delightful opportunities in that use mm-hmm. of the story sequence yep. chart. Yep. Uh, you know, there's a few other things you could do with it. One is you could keep the characters but change the plot, change the problem, hmm. right? So you could have, you know, the hare and the tortoise, well— after that happened, you've got a very cocky tortoise walking around who yeah. beats the hare and a, a hare who's now contriving some way to bring that tortoise down a notch on the pride scale. Yes. So you could have the continuing adventures. That's a little harder. Mm-hmm. Usually changing characters and setting is 
is easier for kids than changing a plot, but you can see how it could be interchangeable. Sure. Another thing that I have had fun with is kind of expanding the story and saying, well, you know, three paragraphs, that's kind of short. If you want to write something longer, well, then, you know, here's some ways to expand it. So you could have one whole paragraph about the hare and his backstory and how mm-hmm. he got so cocky and prideful to begin with. And then uh, another whole paragraph just introducing the tortoise and where he came from and how he got to be the way he is. And then a whole paragraph about how they're teasing each other. And then a whole paragraph about how they organized the race. And then a whole paragraph about what happened during the race. Right, and, right. Which reminds me once I had a someone who wrote that story with a brother and a sister. Nice. And they were going to race around the block. Okay. And so the brother, of course, takes off, but he passes by his friend's house who suggests that he could stop in a little bit and play a video game. Oh, oops. <laughs> right. So, you know, that that whole thing. So you can expand the story if you want to. You know, I, I think three paragraphs is a pretty nice length for most people. Mm-hmm. But there are, you know, some who just really like to get going on their next, you know, novelette, I guess. Yes, yes. Another thing that can be done, which I have had a lot of fun with, is taking a story and writing it into a poem Mm -hmm. or taking a poem that tells a story Mm -hmm. and writing it into prose. Yes. And a couple memorable ones. One of my daughters did one with the poem Jabberwocky, which, of course, Mm. everyone knows is my favorite one. And you can watch me (laughs) recite that on Instagram or YouTube. She took the poem and wrote it into a a prose, Mm -hmm. fairy tale-like story. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's kind of fun to do. And then I tried a few times, just kind of as an experiment, to say, well, here's a story. Could we write it into a a script Mm -hmm. for a little play Mm -hmm. and do that? So... There's so much possibility with Unit 3. My my only regret is that you only get a month. It's right. And you can't do all of that fun stuff right. in three or four or five weeks. So uh, that's another good reason to revisit Unit 3 right. year after year after year for, you know, three, four, five years or more. Right. Exactly. So as you know, I had the opportunity to be at the NCFCA finals this year. Yes, you better tell everyone what that actually is because some people wouldn't know. So here's the funny thing, Andrew, is I did learn while I was there that NCFCA does indeed stand for something, but they've added a little bit more to explain it. It is NCFCA Christian Speech and Debate. That's the name of their... Well, okay. But no, what they are doing, they announced a new speech category uh-huh. that they're going to be rolling out for the next season, and it's storytelling. And you can either make up your own story, write original story, Mm -hmm. or you can do what they're calling a derivation, where you take an existing story and retell it. So, wow, you know, those students that know our Unit 3 will find this to be something they're very comfortable with. Yes, and there's just so much potential with this. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as I have said many times, there's really no new 
ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no completely new idea. Yep. Every new, every seemingly new idea is really a combination and permutation and expansion or development of previously existing stuff. Yep. And I think when we get this idea of what creativity is in that context, it frees up a whole lot of students yep. to say, oh, so I don't have to somehow think of something that nobody ever thought of before. I can take something I'm familiar with and play with that. Yep. Uh, much like, and we've we've mentioned this on the podcast many times, kids and Legos. Mm -hmm. You know, they they buy these little Lego kits, and it has these little, you know, things you follow to put the whole, you know, X-wing fighter together. Whatever sure. the kids do that, and then. Then they're like, okay, I get it. Now, I bet I could change my X-Wing fighter. I could change this into some other cool little thing. Especially if you already have some Legos and you can add to it. and make... Exactly. And the more Legos you have, oh, the wow. better you can do. <laughs> and more likely dad's going to step on it in the middle of the night, too. <laughs> we interviewed Katie Wells, who won the National Walking on Legos contest. Oh, my word. <laughs> she, she set a, a record for... Walking on Legos. I don't know. That's like coal walking or something. Uh, so, you know, this, I think, just has so much potential, yes. even older students. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the most interesting variations on stories or derivations, I guess, mm -hmm. that I've ever read have been from high school students. Yes. And so it's not a little kid thing. It's nope. really a you know, a very reasonable activity for students and adults of all ages. And sometimes it can get a little silly. But one time I was reading this paper that this kid wrote, and, you know, he was one of these, I don't know, probably 12-year-old boy types who's just, he's just trying to be weird for the sake of weirdness, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just kind of push the edges. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading it, and experiencing this slight irritation. And then I flashed on VeggieTales. Yes. <laughs> right? I'm, you know, I, I never was a VeggieTales fan, and we didn't really have a lot of VeggieTales in our home, although everyone did learn, uh, where Here's is my, my hairbrush? hairbrush. <laughs> but I thought, these were adults, right? Th this was a group of men who took stories— mostly from the Bible in the beginning, mm -hmm. and recast those things in this world of talking vegetables. I could never do that. <laughs> that requires a, a mental flexibility, a yes. creative openness. And, you know, after I had that thought, I just realized, who am I to judge a 12-year-old kid who's pushing the edges of what's reasonable mm -hmm. in terms of weirdness in story writing? Hands-on structure and style, hands-off content. Just let it go. Maybe he'll do the next wave of the VeggieTales, hopefully a little better. Who knows what he'll do? But I have to tell you, before we run out of time, okay. the absolute best story that I ever got. Hmm. This just absolutely blew my mind. And this hmm. was a 17-year-old young man whose life goal at that time was to become a movie scriptwriter. Oh, interesting. So he had already studied to some degree 
script writing mm-hmm. and movie plot structures, and he he was he was really trying to get into that world. And uh, this was not on a video class ever recorded, but I was using the story of the prodigal son. Okay, says high school students, you have the story of the prodigal son. So he writes this story. The younger son is in a mafia family. And he goes to his father, the head of the mafia family, and he says, I don't really want to be in the mafia. I would like to just, you know, get whatever you will give me and just leave and go live my life free of crime. And the father says, sure, no problem. So he, I don't know, gives him whatever he's going to give him. I don't remember. So he goes to the airport, and he's in the bar at the airport waiting for his airplane. And this very beautiful young woman comes up and starts talking to him. And he has a drink. He has another drink. I can't remember whether he goes to the restroom and comes back, but somehow he goes unconscious. He wakes up, and he's... On the floor in this bar, the girl is gone. He's lost his ticket. He has no wallet. He can't get on the airplane, and he can't do anything but go home. Okay. So he has to go home. Whereupon the older brother, who is not happy with this situation at all, says to the father, I don't think we can trust him. Because, you know, he, he didn't want to be part of the family business. What are we going to do? And the father says, I don't think he'll be around very long. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, this like, whoa. And, of course, this was really well written. Yes. And I can't do justice to no. the thing. And I didn't get to keep the uh, actual printed right, one, right. which would have been. But I thought, now that is so interesting how... You know, he kind of switched the the morality of the yeah, thing. Yeah, this is definitely a <clears throat> deviation of the what what would be that that like like the deviation of the even the climax and resolution. Right. It, it's just it's kind of like changing a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I just kind of thought, well, that is just a brilliant way to apply that right <laughs> thought sequence sure. in a totally different way than sure. anyone could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the potential of Unit 3 for creativity, Yes, it's extraordinary. Yes. And I, I would guess that hundreds, if not thousands of kids who have been through this have written a Unit 3 story and thought, this is the best story I ever wrote. Nice. Right? Because they, they have that sense that it has a structure, Yep. but they were able to inject something into yep. it that made it unique from yep. everyone else's sharing of the structure. And, you know, there's only a certain number of plots anyway. Right. And I, I remember <laughs> hearing once that romance novels are basically all formulaic. Yes. And if you become a romance novel ghostwriter or something, they just say, here, use plot number 32 and put it in the, you know, Civil War period. <laughs> okay, crank it out. Nice, so, nice. Anyway. Okay, so Unit 3, listener, don't get stuck in Unit 2. Forage forward and enjoy enjoy the ride. Yeah, have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, if you have the TWSS 
uh, seminar workbook, mm-hmm. read some of the student samples. Yes. Because some of those student samples do have this idea of elaboration yep. or variation. And also, we should mention the Magnum Opus magazine. Oh, yes, great. Because we we do a print version of that every year. We do online mm-hmm. each month. Yep. And those are submissions that do follow, I would hope, more or less, the guidelines for each of the units. Yep. So when you look at the Unit 3 stories in the Magnum Opus magazine, you're going to get some more samples and examples of how this can be done well. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.